0: a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Aaron. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's November, and we're spending Thanksgiving month expressing our deepest gratitude to you, our mysterious listeners.
1: Today we give particular thanks to one of our Patreon supporters, David Tyler McKay. David supports the podcast at our highest level, making him a mysterious master of the society. As a reward, we invited David to join us for a discussion of an episode of his choosing.
2: David chose the story The Martian Chronicles from Dimension X due to a scheduling snafu on our part... David will not be joining us today. We look forward to having him join us on a future episode of the podcast.
1: Dimension X premiered April 8, 1950, and was one of the earliest adult-oriented science fiction shows on radio. While other sci-fi programs of the time relied on original scripts, Dimension X adapted newly published stories written by contemporary masters of the genre, including Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Philip K. Dick, and Kurt Vonnegut. Dimension X also featured the smooth baritone of Norman Rose, who served as both announcer
2: and narrator. Norman Rose would later supply the voice of death in Woody Allen's 1975 comedy Love and Death, as well as Juan Valdez in countless Columbia coffee commercials throughout the
0: 1970s and 80s. The Martian Chronicles is based on the Ray Bradbury novel of the same name. Originally published in May of 1950, the book combined previously published short stories with newly written linking material to create a future history of Earth's colonization of Mars.
1: Although the Martian Chronicles has been adapted many times over the years, Dimension X was the very first, originally broadcast a scant three months after the novel was published. Other notable adaptations include the 1976 stage play, which premiered at the Cricket Theater in our very own Northeast Minneapolis, and the 1979 NBC television miniseries starring Rock Hudson, Darren McGavin, Bernadette Peters, and Roddy McDowell. In order to fit the story into a 30-minute time slot, Dimension X jettisoned
2: roughly two-thirds of the 28 short stories that comprise the novel, focusing on just nine. Rocket Summer, Ela, and The Moon Be Still as Bright, The Settlers, The Locusts, The Shore, The Off-Season, There Will Come Soft Rains, and The Million-Year Picnic. Ironically, Dimension X later expanded many of the stories from the Martian Chronicles, including several
0: used in this adaptation, into full-length standalone episodes. Now let's listen to the Martian Chronicles from Dimension X, first broadcast August 18, 1950. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light
1: you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: Adventures in time and space, told in future tense. Dimension X. Tonight, Dimension X presents The Martian Chronicles. A dramatization of the new novel by one of our most brilliant young science fiction writers, Ray Bradbury, The Martian Chronicle. <laughs> January in the year 1999. One minute it was Ohio winter with doors closed, the panes blind with frost, icicles fringing every roof, children skiing on snowy slopes. And then a long wave of warmth crossed the small town, a flooding sea of hot air.
4: Bye, Mom, I'm going out. William McClellan,
5: you come back here. You know you can't go out in winter without a cold. You want to catch your death of cold?
4: Well, it isn't cold. It's warm outside. It's rocket summer. Rocket summer? You know, like Indian summer.
3: The rocket lay on the launching field blowing up pink clouds of fire and heat, cracking the icicles, melting the snow, making summer with every breath of its mighty exhaust. It seared the faces of the watching crowd and drove them back. And then they saw the red fire and heard the big sound as the silver rocket shot up toward Mars and left them behind on an ordinary Monday morning on the ordinary planet Earth. of crystal pillars on the planet Mars by the edge of an empty sea. And every morning you could see Hila eating the golden fruits that grew from the crystal walls. Or her husband sitting alone in his room reading from a singing metal book over which he brushed his hand as one might play a harp. Ella and her husband were not old. Once they had liked painting pictures with chemical fire Swimming in the canals when the wine trees filled them with green liquors and talking into the dawn together. But no more. Marriage sometimes makes people old and familiar while still young. And Ela was not happy now. This morning she sat dreaming between the crystal pillars and wished that somehow a miracle might happen. And then suddenly... Oh. Ila, did you call? No. I thought I heard you cry out. Did I? I was almost asleep and had a dream. In the daytime? Hmm. You don't often do that. Strange. But very strange. I dreamed about a man.
5: A tall man. Six feet tall. Oh. He was dressed in a strange uniform. And he came down out of the sky in a long silver craft.
3: Out of the sky? <laughs> what nonsense.
5: He spoke pleasantly to me in another language. But somehow I understood him with my mind. Telepathy, I suppose. A really, Hila. And he said, I've come from the third planet in my ship. My name is Nathaniel York.
3: What a stupid name. Who ever heard of a name like that?
5: Perhaps they have names like that on Earth.
3: That's ridiculous, Hila. Everyone knows the third planet is incapable of supporting life. Too much oxygen in their atmosphere. I suppose. But haven't you ever wondered if... Well, wouldn't it be fascinating if there were people there... And they traveled through space in some sort of ship. Oh, really, Eli. You know, I hate this emotional wailing. Now, well, let's get on with our work. Evening came. The twin white moons of Mars were rising, and the house closed itself in like a giant flower. A wind blew among the pillars, stirring Ella's russet hair, crooning softly in her ear. And it was then that she began singing the song. Drink to me, only
4: mm, thine eyes, and I will pledge with mine. You
3: what's that song? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I've never heard it before. Did you compose it?
5: No. Yes. No, I don't know, really. I don't even know what the words are. They're in another language. It was part of the dream I had, I guess.
3: Oh. You know, you haven't been yourself lately. It might do you good if we went away to the Blue Mountains for a week or so. What? Did you hear what I said? I'm sorry. I was watching the sky. You're certainly interested in the sky tonight. Very beautiful. Well, what about my suggestion? Shall we leave for the Blue Mountains in the morning? You mean go away now? Oh, no. No? Why not? Why don't you want to go? I don't know. I just don't want to, that's all.
4: Oh, leave a Ila,
3: I'm sick of that silly song It's late Let us sleep From the crystal walls poured a soft carpeting of mist To support Ila where she lay down to sleep But through the night she tossed restlessly Until just at dawn the dream recurred Ila, Ila, wake up What? Oh, what is it? You've been dreaming again. You talked in your sleep. Did I? Yes. What were you dreaming?
5: Oh, a ship. It came from the sky again. And the tall man stepped out and talked with me. <laughs> Telling the little jokes and laughing.
3: What else happened? And then this this Captain York Oh, I can't. It's all so silly. Tell me. He said I was beautiful. And then he kissed me. I thought so. What else? Why, Eel, you're so bad-tempered. It's only a dream. Is it? You know I can read your mind. You can't keep secrets from me. Well, all that happened was that Captain York told me...
5: Well, he told me he'd take me away in his ship, into the sky. Take me back to his planet with him. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous, really.
3: Ridiculous, is it? You should have heard yourself. pawing on him, talking to him, singing with him all night. In your dream, he landed in Green Valley, didn't Please. he? And he told you he was coming today. Yes. But what's come over you?
5: It's only a dream. You can't be jealous of that.
3: No. No, I suppose not. Forgive me. I'm being childish.
5: Ian, you're sick.
3: You've been working too hard. No, no, I'm all right. But perhaps you're right. Maybe I could use a little relaxation. Yes. I think I'll take the morning off and go hunting. Hunting? Yes, in Green Valley. Numbly, she watched him go to a closet and draw forth an evil-looking weapon. And then her husband was gone, walking toward Green Valley. And Ila waited, watching the sky for an unknown thing, trembling with a nameless fear. And then it happened whirring, rushing sound, the warmth as of a giant fire passing in the air, the gleam of metal in the sky. Please
4: come, it's true, the dream is true.
3: A rocket vanished over the hill. The sky was empty again, and trembling Elo waited again, looking toward Green Valley and seeing nothing, listening for sounds and hearing nothing, until a shot sounded very sharply, the sound of the evil weapon. Oh, no, no,
4: no, no.
3: Her body jerked with the sound and she wanted to scream and never stop screaming. But now she knew the dream could never come true. There was nothing left but the song, the strange and fine and beautiful song.
4: Drink to me only with thy. eyes and I will pledge with Within the cup.
3: <laughs> but still, the rockets came. The next ship came down from the stars and the black velocities and the silent gulfs of space and landed by night. Near a Martian city. The men made their way to the outer rim of the dreaming city, and then Jeff Spender went in to reconnoiter while the others watched and waited. Waited for something to stir in the haunted city, some gray form to rise, some voice to break the unearthly stillness. Where were the people? Where were the Martians? Nothing stirred to disturb the silence until. goes there. Don't shoot. Hold it, Parker. Let's spend her in this party. They're coming back. Captain Wilder. Over here. Well? Captain, we've searched the city. People were living here last week. People? Martians. Where are they now? Dead. Dead? What did they die of? You won't believe it, Captain. Chickenpox. Good Lord, no. Yes. No resistance to an Earth disease, I guess. So the other rocket did get through to Mars. It looks like it, Captain. God only knows what the Martians did to them. But at least we know what they did to the Martians. You mean they're all dead? Yes. This planet is through. Hey! You hear that, guys? We're safe! <laughs> Break out a bottle, Cookie! Let's have a drink to celebrate! Stop it, Parker. Put down the bottle! Ah, uh, what's eating you, Spender? The planet's ours now. We got a it, don't we? <laughs> I christen thee the city of... Uh, I christen... Hey, Parkhill City, huh? Uh, hell? I warned you! To... Hey, hey, a...
4: All right, Spender, that's enough. That'll
3: cost you a $50 fine. Okay, McClure, take care of Parkhill. Spender, you come with me. All right, Spender. Why did you hit him? I don't know, Captain. I was ashamed, I guess. Ashamed of Sam Parkhill and the noise and the spectacle the whole crew is making. It's been a long trip. It's only natural they'd want to have their fling. Yes, but where's their sense of what's right? Their respect for what's happened here. Captain, a race builds itself for a million years. Refines itself. Builds cities like this one. Does everything it can to give itself respect and beauty and... And then... It dies. Of what? Not anything fine or majestic or fitting, but but a dirty little thing like chickenpox. And Sam Parkill wants to celebrate. I know, Spender, but you've got to remember you've a different way of seeing things. I'm seeing things all right. I'm seeing what we'll do to Mars. We'll rip it up, rip the skin off, ruin it the way we've ruined our own planet. Captain, look at the city. It may be the last time you'll ever see it this way. Beautiful in the moonlight, isn't it? Yes. There's a poem by Byron that describes it, and how the Martians would feel tonight, if there were any, any of them left to feel. So we'll go no more a roving so late into the night. Though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. For the sword outwears its sheath, and the soul wears out the breast, and the heart must pause to breathe, and love itself must rest. Though the night was made for loving and the day returns too soon, yet we'll go no more roving by the light of the moon. Without a word, the earthmen stood and looked at the city. The bottle lay shattered at Sam Parkhill's feet, and the sour stench of liquor filled the cool air. The men of Earth had come to Mars. The men of Earth came to Mars. They came because they were afraid or unafraid. Because they were happy or unhappy. Because they felt like pilgrims or did not feel like pilgrims. The government posters screamed, There's work for you in the sky. See Mars! the men shuffled forward, all kinds of men. All coming for different reasons. The rockets came like drums beating in the night. They came like locusts, swarming and settling in blooms of rosy smoke. Mars was a distant shore. And the settlers spread upon it in waves. First the pioneers and builders, then the people of civilization. Some came because they were afraid of a coming war on earth. Some came because they were afraid of nothing. Some came to escape from the smell of the subways and the cabbage tenements. And some came from houses like the one in Ohio. It was a good house, the house in Ohio. And for six years the family had lived there contentedly. Enjoying music and poetry and the rich, warm things of life. For the house had been built to be lived in. In the year 2020, it contained all the latest automatic devices, from talking book recorders to singing clocks. Pick-tock,
4: seven o'clock. Time to rise. Open your eyes. Pick-tock, seven o'clock. Time to rise. Open your
3: eyes. As the family rose and dressed. The beds whirred electronically and made themselves. In the kitchen, the stove sighed and ejected from its warm interior eight eggs, sunny side up, twelve bacon slices, two coffees, and two glasses of milk.
4: Seven-nine, breakfast
3: time. Come and dine, seven-nine. Beside the breakfast table, the facsimile machine clacked and deposited the morning paper on the table. The headlines today spoke ominously of the danger of a coming war. And the man frowned as he read the news. Today is August 4th, 2026. Insurance, gas, and atom heat bills are due. And today, remember, the family is planned a picnic.
4: Gee, Dad, are we really going?
3: Sure, Timmy, why not?
4: It's raining out.
3: It's not raining where well, we're going, son. Now run upstairs, pack your fishing tackle. We're going on our picnic, all right.
5: Okay, Dad. Bill, are you sure we ought to go?
3: Yes. Have you seen the headlines this morning? Oh, it looks bad, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The rocket's ready. All we have to do is pack and take off.
4: I know, but... Well, hmm. flying to Mars, it seems so crazy.
5: Well, all right, then we'll go. Should we tell the children why we're going? No,
3: not yet. Let them enjoy the picnic. The house went on with its appointed task. Out of the molding darted hundreds of tiny mechanical mice, all rubber and metal. They sucked up the dust and dirt in the house and popped back into their burrows. In the walls, relays clicked, memory tapes glided under electric eyes, recorded voices moved under steel needles. Twelve o'clock, two o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock, tick
4: o'clock, eight o'clock.
3: Evening came. In the living room, the hearth fire bloomed out of nothing. And the phonograph spoke from beside the fireplace. Mrs. McClellan, what poem would you like to hear this evening? Mr. McClellan, since you express no preference, I shall select at random from among your favorites. Sarah Teasdale, there will come soft grains.
4: There will
5: come soft rains, and the smell of the ground and swallows circling with their shimmering sounds. And frogs in the pools singing at night. And wild sum trees in tremulous flight. Robins will wear their feathery fire. Whistling their whims on a low fence wire. And not one will know of war. Not one will care at last when it is done. Not one would mind neither bird nor tree. If mankind perished utterly. And spring herself when she woke at dawn. Yes, we know that we were gone.
3: The phonograph finished the poem, but there was no one there to hear, for the family had gone to Mars. Martian desert beside the highway, there rose a blare of red and yellow neon lights that spelled the death of Jeff Spender's dream. Sam's hot dog stand is what the sign read, and Sam, of course, was the same Sam Parker who had fought with Spender years before. Ten thousand rockets were reported leaving soon for Mars, with a hundred thousand hungry customers, and Sam wanted to be ready for them. Hey, look up there, I? Mm-hmm. See that green star up there? That's right. Ah, good old wonderful Makes you feel almost reverent, don't it? Yeah Send me your hungry and your starved Uh, Something, something That's a poem I learned in school (laughs) Come on, Earth. send me your rockets Here's Sam Parker with the only hot dog stand on Mars Sam, what if the rockets don't come? What if there's a whore on there? Eh, don't worry, they're coming all right. Ain't nothing going to happen to spoil my plans, baby. I figured it all out.
4: Sam! Hey, Sam, look up there. Earth!
3: Oh, what? Oh, no. It's catching fire. It's burning. Oh, no, no that can't be earth.
4: How but they can't do this to me. I got all our money invested <laughs> in this crazy. Go ahead, Sam. Switch on more lights. Spin up the music. Get the hot dogs on the fire. There'll be
5: another batch of customers coming along in about a hundred million years.
3: Oh, no, I couldn't
5: be. What a swell spot for a hot dog stand. Let you know a little secret stand. This looks like it's going to be an off season.
3: The light theme radio crackled with the news.
4: Ah.
3: By morning, the shelves of the luggage store were empty and the rockets were blasting off, headed back to Earth. In a few days, everyone was gone. And the planet of Mars once more lay deserted and silent. And then, after all the rest had gone... One last rocket landed on Mars. A small, family-sized rocket come all the way from Earth. It seemed a long way to go for a picnic, but Dad had suggested a fishing trip, and Mother thought the whole family would enjoy a vacation. So here they were, floating down a Martian canal, with Timothy sitting in the back of the boat, with Dad and Mother up front holding Alice the baby, and the deserted Martian towns drifting slowly by. Dad? What is it, Timmy?
4: When do we see the Martians? You promised we would.
3: Soon, Tim, soon.
4: Oh, but William,
5: the last Martians died out years ago. They're a dead race now. Not
3: quite. Don't worry, son. I'll show you some real live Martians later on.
4: Gee, this is swell. I wish we didn't ever have to go home. How long can we stay?
3: A million years.
4: A million years?
3: Yes. The time we told you, son, we're not going home. This is where we'll live from now on.
4: But what about the rocket? What about Ohio? There's
3: nothing there now but ruins. The last Earth radio just went off the air. That means the war is over and Earth is finished. We're going to blow up our rocket and start all over. See if we can't build a better world up here.
4: You mean Mars is going to be our home?
3: Yes. I hope you don't mind too much.
4: No, sir. But what about the Martians? When do we get to see them?
3: There they are, son. Look down at the water.
4: I don't see anything there.
3: Beside the boat. Look at the reflections in the water.
4: But but that's us down there. Just you and me and Mom and the baby.
5: Yes, son. You see, we're the Martians now.
3: For a long, silent moment, Kimmy stared down at the reflections of the family in the water. the Martian stared back up at him. Then he lifted his eyes to the deep ocean sky, trying once more to see Earth and the house he had always called home. But Earth was too far away, and the house was now only a heap of radioactive rubble. Only one wall remained standing, and within the wall a voice spoke again and again and again.
5: Not one would mind, neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished utterly and spring herself when she woke at dawn, would scarcely known that we were gone. 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 That we were
3: gone. That we were gone. 2026. Today is October 6th. have just heard The Martian Chronicles, a dramatization of highlights from the new novel by Ray Bradbury. Your narrator was Norman Rose, and featured in the cast were Inga Adams, Roger DeCoven, and Donald Bucher. Music by Albert Berman, engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by
0: Jack Cuny. That was The Martian Chronicles from Dimension X here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. All right, I'm going to start this off because it's very important I start off with this statement. Mm-hmm. I really shouldn't be involved in this conversation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you finally admit it.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially this one. I'm going to do a lot of listening and I'm going to do a lot of Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and i'm going to tell you why i know that the martian chronicles is a big deal i know that in the sci-fi world and those of you that read books uh, (laughs) that ray bradbury i like that you
1: might think those are the same things (laughs) (laughs) they are
0: (laughs) you know pride and prejudice (laughs) sci-fi um i only know of it That's not my area of expertise, Ray Bradbury. Everything I know about Ray Bradbury has happened approximately 152 episodes ago on this podcast. (laughs) So it's all new to me. Um, Had I sat down and heard any Ray Bradbury without this podcast, I wouldn't be connecting it to his books or anything. And just like, do I enjoy it or not? Um, And that's
1: an important voice, though, to have in this podcast because this was created as a standalone radio episode this book had only been published three months earlier so really yes most of the people listening to this hadn't read it either i would assume not or if they did they just read it it wasn't considered this classic of science fiction literature
0: no but this conversation does need to start there and this is because it is now And you two know this stuff. And you know Bradbury and you know the Chronicles. I have not read this. I know... Joshua (laughs) knows this stuff.
1: (laughs) But Eric is saying, everyone shut up. I'm about to
0: talk for 30 minutes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I'm saying
0: from the standpoint of how well did they adapt, that is where we need to start from someone who knows it. Before we start analyzing it from those of us who don't know anything about it. Well, anytime it. there's an adaptation, it's the question of how well
2: did they bring the source material into this new medium, and just how well does it stand on its
1: own? And occasionally they overlap really well. They make the fans of the original material really happy and really excite people who mm-hmm. are unfamiliar with the source material. But it's also very possible to succeed at one and completely fail at the other. Right. And my big question for Eric is did it fail terribly? Or Tim, who hasn't read it, did it fail terribly if you're not familiar with it? Because from a reader point of view, they do an amazing job condensing the spirit, tone, and themes of this novel, just squished horribly (laughs) (laughs)
0: into this 30-minute time slot. Let me answer that. At no point was I aware... Until our intro of this podcast, where you made me read some things and made me sound like I knew what the Martian Chronicles... I love that you gave me that paragraph. Uh, the Martian Chronicle, I'm like Alex Trebek. No, actually... Uh, After exhaustive research. Yes, right? I'm just reading what Joshua told me to say, but I did not know when I listened to this, again, until five minutes ago... <laughs> That the Martian Chronicles is a series of how many stories? 28 or so. So I don't know that. No one said, oh, it's a bunch of different stories. Nor was it pointed out to me at the beginning of this radio broadcast. Hey, so the Martian Chronicles is 28 stories. What we're going to do is we're going to select eight of them. And here they are. So what do I hear? A bunch of disjointed, disconnected things changing on me like i'm listening to a story and then all of a sudden we're here and now all of a sudden there's a guy selling hot dogs and now you know like i don't know what's (laughs) going on if you had told me at the beginning
1: they do say at the end and it's not very helpful they say this has (laughs) been highlights from the novel okay (laughs) yeah it's already over
0: so i did make that note but so the martian chronicles isn't some coherent book it is a bunch of short stories about it Mars blurs the line. It is... How do you know? You didn't read it. <laughs> I look at the Wikipedia page of Martin Chronicles.
2: <laughs> Continue. So, it, yes, he it took a bunch of short stories that he'd already written that sort of centered on the theme of Mars, I believe, then wrote some interconnecting tissue a material that sort of weaves some of these stories together, pick up one thread from this story, put it together with this thread from this other story,
1: and that was kind of it. But it follows a clear arc of the initial expeditions to Mars. I did catch that, yeah. There are more expeditions. Many of them fail uh, in -hmm. the novel before they get to the final one. The rocket ship full of chicken pox? (laughs)
4: Yes.
1: (laughs) Mars is Heaven, which we've discussed on this podcast, is one of the failed missions from the Martian Chronicles. Right, I knew that. To get back to my point, I interrupted myself, but it follows this arc from settling Mars, the colonization, how it slowly becomes more and more like Earth, and then there's a nuclear war on Earth, and everyone leaves Mars to go help in the war. Earth is
0: obliterated, and... It goes back to the beginnings of Mars and their wonderful society. It y- starts y- at what y- Mars y- is like when the first right. Earthmen land. Yep. So we know that it's been around a long time mm-hmm. and has a rich history and... And it's pretty much Earth. But to get to the, I think, the heart of it (laughs) is it's
2: definitely weird to hear this anthology crammed down to 30 minutes of just like you get a a story arc starts and ends in four minutes, Mm -hmm. six minutes. uh, And it's different than what we usually listen to. Yes, it's very different from most of the stuff
0: we bring to the podcast. I I myself didn't find it hard to acclimate. It was easy for me to go, oh, I'm piecing this together. Uh, this happened, and then she had a dream, and these guys showed up, and then this guy had this get-rich-quick scheme to sell hot dogs, and then, <laughs> and then his wife had an amazing amount of Schadenfreude, laughing at him as the <laughs> earth blew up, <laughs> and said, "There you go, dummy, you and your hot dogs," are, which is an amazing moment. <laughs> It, it really is, is. I can't get past the hot dog salesman. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is a, a, a highlight
2: of they took these different stories that are radically different in tone, yet mm-hmm. still part of the same oeuvre. Mm-hmm. I just want to say oeuvre. <laughs> um, so the, the fun of
1: anthology was part of the fun of listening to this. They also condensed a couple of the stories into... Sentences.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, some of them are really, really condensed. So uh, there is
0: that. So you've read all 28 of these things, right? <laughs> yeah, I do Just love kind of the Martian the Chronicles. That, so
2: this is Mars, huh? The end.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know that it's condensed, and as Tim keeps pointing out, and he's right, it's really quite a feat to even select eight of these and cram them all in, but you think they did pretty good.
1: In the sense that they retained the grand arc of the story despite cutting out three-fourths of it and maintain Bradbury's theme which is a pretty cynical one.
0: Well it's all very uh, sociological isn't it? The whole thing about hey Mars is us and we're idiots right? Earth is (laughs) destroying itself and humans are stupid and human nature is stupid and he doesn't like us very well. Is that true of Bradbury, would you say? Like the hot dog salesman, for example, as much as it made me laugh, is all, see how dumb we are? But he also has that
2: old-fashioned ideal of the small town, The like when we were talking about the ravine, that mm-hmm. the sort of golden age that may or may not have actually existed that has its own dark side, but he
1: loves it. it. He has a nostalgic romantic side too. And I think you you see that even in that first story of this connection between the Earthman and this Martian woman and the the first story was uh Rocket Summer. Oh you're you're right. (laughs) Technically that is the first story adapted. (laughs) Yes, that was
2: three sentences. Well it's hot out because of the rockets. The end.
1: This is easy. I could do this. do <laughs> the 10-minute Martian Chronicles. Uh, but the second story then, I think... Which one is, was that? That's the one with the jealous Martian husband who just goes and murders the Earthmen the second they arrive right. because They've his looked- wife has been picking up some psychic waves from him. <laughs> right. And so when you describe it that way, it, it's funny. It's obviously of a time. It's, again, this old-fashioned couple stereotype mm-hmm. uh, with the jealous male and the female who swoons over the dreams of a handsome captain coming from far away. However, I do think it's interesting because before he obliterates the Martians through chickenpox and makes them a stand-in for you know the genocide of Native Americans, he does right. go out of his way also to to not make them totally sympathetic when we see them alive. Like The one Martian we meet in here is a jealous bastard who just goes (laughs) and shoots everyone dead the second they land. So (laughs) he's an equal opportunity cynic. (laughs) That second story, Hila,
2: to get my nerd on, it really reminded me of the sort of Dunzinean, using air quotes, the sort of fantasy dreamlike worlds uh, that that Lovecraft wrote about in uh, Dreamland stories of like the Silver Key.
0: I was just thinking that same thing <laughs> yeah.
2: but we talking about the uh, the fruit that grows out of the walls the the books that sing yeah, yeah.
0: which reminds me of that weird cartoon movie was it fantastic planet uh, oh yeah the cartoon the, was... the blue people that were tiny and yes they ate food that floated through the air and you know, it was like <laughs> i may have watched that when i was 22 and i may not have been um 100% <laughs> Sober, they've been eating food floating <laughs> through the air, and I may have liked it.
1: <laughs> David, since he couldn't be here, uh, did send us a couple discussion questions in his absence that I want to make sure we hit, and we maybe have already hit a few of them. But, on, virtual um, David, virtual David did want to know um, what we thought <laughs> about the differences between the book and the. Adaptation, which I think we've kind of talked about. The book's longer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But one thing that I thought was really smart about this adaptation is that it used music and poetry, which Bradbury does a lot, as this thread Throughout that gave it a sense of integrity, of wholeness. Give a structure. Yeah. And they're all short because they're poems. (laughs) So you can fit them all in. Um, And it feels very genuinely Bradburyan, if I may say Bradburyan. He's one of my
0: favorite. I think it was a gold key uh, superhero. Yandar the Bradburyan. The Bradburyan. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Very (laughs) loquacious, savage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'll piggyback on that with uh, I hate poetry. I do. It's used
1: to such dramatic effect Uh, in this. There's another podcast we
0: got to (laughs) start. I
1: hate poetry. I'm not Uh, alone. (laughs) The dead house playing his favorite poem over and over. I don't mind the concept. There's no one else left on Earth. I
0: agree. I don't mind the concept. I just, yeah, it was great. (laughs) I love that Alexa was reading poetry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That it's a sign of desolation and ruin. Yeah.
1: (laughs) When Earth is in
2: cinders... That's when it's time to have poetry.
1: <laughs> uh, David notes in here that uh, he felt the adaptation captured the novel. He's a fan of the novel, but Can that he, he thought about it, it.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he thought it was less bloody than the novel. The, there seemed to be a lot more murder in the novel, and I think that's not intentional. I think that's just a side effect of condensing it uh, mm-hmm. there's just isn't enough time for all the violence well <laughs> as well, i already mentioned there's three failed expeditions so when you cut right. those out those all end in death
0: and violence so without those that's a lot of if they would have done 30 minutes of just the death and violence
2: <laughs> <laughs> eric would be on board well it is kind of insulting to the entire martian culture that they died off screen as it were i'm glad that we're worried about their
0: feelings <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you'd be Park Hill. Uh, you'd be celebrating the dead Martians and opening hot dog stands.
0: <laughs> yes! <laughs>
2: that, to be honest, that was the moment that confused me of oh, sure, you're not going to have even customers, but you have no competition now. Like, <laughs> yeah. anybody wants a hot dog, they're coming to you.
0: Well, not only that, out of all the things people are going to need when they come here, hot dogs was at the top of your list. <laughs> How about shoes? You're going to need shoes. Why don't you do something practical? Hot dogs is way down the line. Sorry, I got bothered by the hot dog guy.
1: (laughs) This is part of my problem as a listener because I'm so familiar with the book. I'm filling in things that probably weren't there in the audio. But part of Bradbury's point and Spender's point in that episode where they land and find out the Martians are dead is that the humans are going to come and soil the planet. They're going to make it filthy. They're going to bring their ridiculous things. So Bradbury is purposely putting a hot dog stand. That's the kind of desecration right. on this beautiful civilization. They're going to set up a hot dog stand. So I think yeah. Bradbury is making a hilarious right. point. Just but I that do that think it's comedy. Hot dog stands mean something different to me.
2: <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> joy like civilization. Civilization. yes. civilization. Yes. <laughs> that's what I was saying earlier. You know, it's it, This is another <laughs> example of his cynicism and... Mm-hmm. We're stupid, and, and I get that. And uh, when I was in Oslo, I was never happier than when I found a hot dog vendor. Because <laughs> I was so tired of eating their version of pizza or whatever. Like, oh, my God, could I have some food? And then there was a hot dog guy, and I was very happy. There's my hot dog story. So maybe this guy was right. Hot dogs is the first thing you should set up. It like walrus meat hot dogs? <laughs> yeah, well... <they> could... <laughs> They were a fjordable. <laughs>
1: Eric one. Uh, oh, my God. These uh, Oslo jokes were not on David's <laughs> list of things to cover. <laughs> but I think he'll be happy nonetheless. Uh, now, one thing that David pointed out and wanted to discuss was this skepticism of advancement and technology. Hmm. And it's in other bits of Ray Bradbury's work, this idea of humans are their own worst enemy. So it doesn't matter if we escape the Earth and colonize because then we're just stuck on another planet
0: with ourselves. I think that's absolutely true. I don't think that's even a Bradbury revelation. I I don't think there's any doubt that no matter where we go, that's what we're going to do. I mean, maybe I'm a cynic too, but yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to destroy the next one. That's why we got to keep moving. We're the Borg. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> except we do it with hot dog sales yeah I don't want to be assimilated with a hot dog
1: <laughs> it was a small moment in this
2: <laughs> I'm transitioning away
0: <laughs> moving on
2: where uh at the the breakfast when the alarm's going off and it's tick tock because mm-hmm. it where they, The newspaper comes in a fax, and they literally say a facsimile machine. Like, you get a fax of the newspaper in the future? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a fax of the newspaper.
1: Right? But, I mean, this was a house that did everything for you. It was a fully automated house, and it's a very 1950s idea of an automated the house. The Yeah, Yeah. just like the Velt. For our listeners, that's another... He worked out a lot of his ideas, and I think the Velt was after this, or maybe it was before, but he repeated a lot. There's a whole story in the Martian Chronicles that's not repeated here about censorship on Earth and the firemen burning books. It was like an early um, version of Fahrenheit 451, Hmm. too, that he went back to and expanded. Just a little aside... uh, and uh, David's last question, uh, and he was wondering about Dean Martin. G- <laughs> You're right. I hope. <laughs> Who was Jerry Lewis's partner on Mars? <laughs> <laughs> That's his actual question. Uh, Dean Martian. <laughs> ah, I'm back.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tim takes the lead. <laughs> uh, you, David's at home going. They should have had me on the podcast. <laughs> yes, thank God so I wasn't much there. <laughs> Keeping us on track. (laughs) Uh, His question was Are all of the women in the story bad guys, or is it basically everyone kind of bad, no matter what the gender? (laughs) Yeah, who was likable in this? The hot dog salesman? Again, this question might be coming from someone who has read more of Ray Bradbury's written work, because I think he has a very 1950s idea of women and writes them in a really uncomfortable manner. Uh, There's a whole Story in this where Mars is finally settled, and then they send for the women, (laughs) and they finally get on the rockets (laughs) to come with their sewing needles and things like that. So, but I think the women fare better in this adaptation because, again, of the sympathetic Martian characters, I think it's Ela who is more. She's open to strangers from another planet. I'll say she is. And even the woman with the hot dog guy, she speaks the truth. She's (laughs) speaking truth to hot dogs. (laughs) Because what she says is not wrong. But she isn't supportive. She isn't supportive, but we already met Park Hill, and he's the jerk who um, didn't care about the dead Martians. Oh, is
0: that the same guy? Same guy. Oh, I didn't Uh, put that
1: together. They mention it in like a half a sentence bit of exposition. Okay. But I don't think we're supposed to like Park Hill. So I would say in this version... The bad guys are mainly men, but more the bad guy is humanity, all Mm -hmm. genders combined. I mean, I think the human race is the main character of the Martian Chronicles and definitely of this adaptation.
0: So the one thing that we haven't covered yet is what do we think of it as a, a radio drama, the production and the performance and direction? I think it does well. I think even given the anthology
2: structure, it still gives a whole narrative arc throughout the whole thing. Individual beats are, re- are really nice. I don't know, given this, this sort of patchwork structure, that I would go back to it over and over again. It's sort of interesting, but right. uh, it
1: doesn't carry so much narrative push throughout it. The star of this, I think, is Bradbury's ideas, the execution of some of the abridgments, choosing the right stuff for audio. Again, I go back to poetry and music because it works so well in audio form. It's, mm-hmm. it's arguably more powerful than reading it mm-hmm. on the page. Uh, when we can hear the final poetry reading, when we can hear the record skipping yeah. on the dead planet, that's a really smart choice from a writing point of view, acting wise because there's such small chunks yep. no actor really gets a chance to really sink their teeth into a right.
0: character everything is really right. broad strokes and it must be and you have no time to really even figure out if you're enjoying yeah. their performance or oh, not and, and I to amend pers- a little Mandal- bit i hate all the children yep. all the children performers like oh <laughs>
1: Oh, I hate you. <laughs> I, I was hoping you just lived it at, Oh, and just, by the way, I hate, I hate all the children. children. <laughs> if any of you children are listening out there, I hate
0: you. <laughs> Tim's been waiting three years just to get that up there. Stop sending me emails, <laughs> children. I know I look like your lovable uncle. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> you, individually. I hate you. <laughs> I'm with Tim that it was just fine from the standpoint of just uh, analyzing as a radio drama. It really could have used someone from the outside during this process to say, hey, you need to explain some things more. This book is three months old. Not everybody's read it. And by the way, and I know I take a lot of grief for this, but I'm dead serious. It is the issue that I have watching Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. They are on the screen for people who have read the books. Uh, They jump around a little too much. Now, don't get me wrong. I can follow them. (laughs) But it is more of a struggle when you don't have the ability to fill in what you know you've read. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we're here, and you're like, what is this? And then you have to kind of backfill that yourself, as opposed to someone who's read the book and then says, oh, they're just skipping that part. That, That makes it easier on them. So I think that this could have used... A narrator would have been phenomenal. It has I, a narrator. Norman Rose
1: does most of the talking in but this. But I mean,
0: now we the, move the, on the to the this trick
1: story. Because
2: the book is so unique. Most books either are a straight anthology or a straight narrative. And this is a weird blend of the two. And so the adaptation doesn't really land on either side either, I feel. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, there is a definite reason that almost all the Dimension X scripts were reused in X minus one, except for this one. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. This was an experiment, but it also shows you the enthusiasm the science fiction nerds had at the time for Ray Bradbury mm-hmm. A and for this book right after it came out. Right. And what I like about it is that they're like, let's do this guys, <laughs> whether it's a good idea or not. And they tried it. Um, and I think it's telling that later on in X minus one, they took a lot of these stories and expanded, expanded them into 30-minute standalone well, stories, th- and they're really them, successful.
0: He gave them a 28 episodes of their show on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. So th- that's the odd choice. Is like, here's 28 stories. Why not? just... I don't know it? if I want a half-hour story of sure is hot. It's because the rockets <laughs> seriously gonna sell hot dogs. <laughs> like how much more time we got to fill here? Are they coming yet? Because I got a lot of hot dogs cooking. <laughs> Ah, uh, I disagree, sir. I would love to hear the thirty-minute version of hot dog sales. <laughs> Let us vote, Joshua. I think this is
1: of historical interest. It is a very successful, stupid idea. I, you know, to, to condense the *Margin Chronicles* into thirty minutes is not a smart idea, but. I'm amazed at how well they do. I guess that's it. I approached this episode with just such skepticism, and most of it was erased. Not enough to make me think it's a smart idea to cut it down this much, but they did a hell of a job.
2: Dim? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. If you take into consideration the source material, the challenge of adapting it, they did a great job. If you want to look at it as regardless of the source material, just is this a good episode? It's of historical interest and
0: different than most radio episodes you'll hear. Uh, And well done. Uh, I 100% agree with what Joshua said. I think it is of historical significance without a doubt, uh, ambitious, and uh, in that sense, it's phenomenal, uh, uh, fun to listen to.
1: So thank you very much, David. This is one I wanted to talk about on the podcast, but thought, oh, it's just too far off the mark. So this was a great excuse (laughs) (laughs) to make these guys listen to this. (laughs) So thank you, and sorry about the scheduling, Snafu. We'll have you on later. Looking forward to it. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit
2: ghoulishlights.com, the home of this podcast. Uh, You can find other episodes of the podcast there. It's a great way to get a hold of us. You can leave us a message, leave comments on episodes, link to our social medias, and let (laughs) us know what you think. Uh, If you have a request you'd like us to listen to, send it to us. We'll add it to our very long list, and we'll get to it eventually.
1: At this point, you're about a year out. (laughs) I'm not joking for how, how long our request list is,
0: so we apologize no, in advance. No, we're we're gonna start doing three podcasts a week. <laughs>
1: Don't say that, because there will be people who will expect it. We'll get an email tomorrow. Like, Where's our second podcast?
0: Why do you think they talk like that, Joshua? Why are you impersonating our list? That was Joshua who thinks you talk like that. Everybody, he hates children too. <laughs>
1: You can also go to patreon.com slash themorals if I haven't just offended you and support this (laughs) podcast. We really do appreciate it. Uh, You can also go to iTunes and write a review. We love those. I mean condense a much larger review into a very (laughs) short one and call it the Martian Chronicles. We'd appreciate it. Also
0: want to remind everybody that we do live shows. We do recreations and sometimes original work live on stage of old-time radio broadcasts. And if they're original, we do them in the style of old-time radio broadcasts. Just go to MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com and you can see a list of our upcoming shows in which... I keep saying this, but very soon there's going to be a lot more coming up. We're we're getting close to signing a bunch of stuff. And this is November 2019.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and next time we are doing an episode that was suggested to us by members of our Facebook discussion group. So you should really join that group because we interact with them a lot and we have a lot of polls and they help us decide things when we are too indecisive. And so as a thank you to our face group, Face group. (laughs) Our Facebook discussion group. We asked them to decide on a series that we have yet to discuss on this podcast. So next week we will be listening to The Tom Keeler Murder Case from Broadway Is My Beat. Until then, face group.